thank you everyone is this yeah there we are thank you everyone for kind words and things that people have been saying that's very lovely and um, obviously in a moving time for our family but uh, a very special time as well um, I'm talking on truth this morning and if anyone had an absolute holding on to the teaching of truth that I know in my life that was my father-in-law so it's a very big privilege to be able to speak today on this subject we're going to start with our reading from John chapter 8 verse 28 so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So I'm talking today about that bit of the passage. Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. At this point, when he's talking to this group of people, there's been someone that's been doing something wrong. I won't go into the details. But the punishment for that person would have been to be stoned to death. And at that point, people were about to do that. And Jesus intervened and he said, go on then. Throw the first stone if you've got nothing wrong in your own life. And no one did. No one did it. But what Jesus also did is he started the stirring again in people's lives. saying, People were going, like, who is, who is he? He's somebody. But the concept of him being the father's son for being the saviour of the world, the concept of that was just not clicking. So there was this challenge after challenge after challenge. And there he is saying, hold on to my teaching, know the truth, and this will set you free. This was a provocative statement, very provocative. He was saying, I am, I am it. I am it. I wonder what do we think when we think about the word truth? What's truth? Lots of philosophers these days, don't they, spend many, 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 many hours writing books on the concept of truth. Truth. What is truth? And then we've got freedom. What is freedom? Am I free? What is freedom anyway? And am I it? Am I free? Jesus speaks about truth and freedom, and this is intrinsically linked into his teaching. Have you ever seen a cat or a dog wearing one of these? We call, them, we call them the cone of shame, don't we? That's what I call them anyway. I remember our cat having one, and they, and they just sit on the windowsill like that, just looking very forlorn, looking outside at what freedom could look like and uh, not being able to enter into it because they've got this thing around their neck and it wouldn't be safe for them to be free. And they're not feeling that freedom right now. But as soon as it comes off, they're there, aren't they? They're more sprightly than ever when they get outside. That's what ours was like. They just, the blinkers come off and they can see. And I know that's a silly scenario and it's a silly thing to put up there on a Sunday morning. But when I was preparing, I just thought, what have we got that's blinkering our view of truth? What is it, if you like, that's become our cone of shame, our cone of blinker, our cone of blocking out what the truth might be? 
I wonder what it might be. Have we got something sitting in our lives that kind of hinders or blinkers or makes us stumble into accepting this truth? The backdrop of freedom, the backdrop of everything, Jesus is saying, is my teaching. But I think it's even more than that. It's like right at the front, the forefront of our thinking, the forefront of everything we do, right at the front of our lives, this is where Jesus' teaching should be. This is where the best place for it is, so that we see everything through him, rather than him being kind of an add-on to everything else. Does, does that make sense? So you kind of have him, the freedom and the truth and the teaching of him, right at the forefront of our minds. When we accept his kingdom values totally as our life values, when they're just sitting there, this is a good place to be. The filter of Jesus rather than the filter of the problem that we might have right at that moment. That's when true freedom comes. Jesus is saying, hold on to this. Hold on to the teachings of me. Know the truth. And the truth will set you free. I do wonder what we think about freedom. I think, is this just me or is this other people? I think we kind of can have a fluffy view of what freedom is. The sense of aimlessly being out there somewhere with not a care in the world, drifting through life. And if freedom looks like that, then we're going to struggle to find that because we do have responsibilities and we do have stuff going on. So if freedom is this airy-fairy thing that you can't pin your, pin your um, thoughts on, you can't understand, then I think we're going to be struggling to find that type of freedom. Often people say, look at the butterfly. They're just floating in the air. And I'm like, well, they are, but they've probably got a purpose. They're probably going somewhere, and they have come from a caterpillar, and all of those things. You know, it's just that there isn't a sense of them just being flitting around. Freedom, what are we thinking when we're thinking about freedom? If we think about a prisoner, I think that would be the, our ultimate opposite of being free. And if we think about a prisoner, and if the guard went in and said, okay, you're free, you can go. What would happen? What would happen to that prisoner? Imagine that they could just go. I'm free. I'm free. And then what? Walking around aimlessly, not having a purpose, not having anywhere to go, not knowing what life looks like, not knowing how to do life, just having this sense of strange kind of freedom. You probably know, but in our society and in many societies, actually, that when a prisoner comes out of prison, there's a rehabilitation program to help them live a free life, to help them do freedom well. And they have teaching on how to do life so they don't go back there again. And they have, and, and without making too much of a political statement on this, the better that, that rehabilitation is, the better they enter into their freedom. So that's what happens even with a prisoner, is that they need to learn how to be free. So... What about us? Maybe we've never felt imprisoned. Maybe we have. And for some of us, understanding of true freedom is tricky. It's a tricky idea because we don't feel free. For some of us, we don't feel free. What does free even look like? I wonder, are we living safely in the teaching of Jesus? Are we living safely? For some of us, life is like a constant battle. There's anger, confusion, fear, maybe shame. 
For some of us, we, we sit in that, and that doesn't feel free. For some of us, I would say, I don't think everyone wants to be free. They kind of carry the burdens around as if they're part of them, and the whole concept of being free isn't really in their agenda. And I think about that as a, there's also this sense of a, the old ways of doing life, sometimes for some people, becomes a comfortable way of doing life. And I think of it a bit like a comfortable old dressing gown. And if you put your dressing gown on, that's a sense of, that's it, I'm done, I'm relaxed for the evening, I'm, I'm not really putting much effort into life right now, I'm just going to snuggle into my dressing gown and have a bit of a relax. The thing is with a dressing gown, that's great for that purpose, but if we're trying to run the race of life and we've got a dressing gown on, then we're going to be a bit stumbly and the freedom that we've got, we probably need to throw off some of those old ways of life that's resembled with the dressing gown. Maybe there's things that we're sticking on because they're comfortable. We're living with because they're comfortable, but they're not comfortable if we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, if we're running our race of life, if we're totally focused on him, if our teachings sit in he- his teachings sit in here in front of us, then wearing the dressing gown is quite difficult. Jesus says, hold on to my teachings. Hold on. And when we're holding on to his teachings, we have to remember that he knows everything. And he has his best for us, He gives us our hope. He gives us our security. He gives us everything that we need. And when we're struggling, he is with us. That's come through so many times this morning in our our prophetic words that were coming. Just, he is with us. He's constant. He is always with us. Being his disciple, knowing that truth, we don't just have to know it in here or even in here. It's about living it every day. Every day. And I was writing this, I was thinking, what would stop us from living that truth every day? And I think the burdens of life in our weekly life, and, and this came up again, didn't it, in our, in our service today, that it's not just Sundays that we click into God, but actually I think in our community, in our in our world as it were it's like work hard work hard work hard and in the weekend crash and burn put your dressing gowns on and it's that kind of or go out partying whatever it is it's that sense of you work then you play and then you rest and then you work and you play and the rest and there's nothing completely wrong with that nothing particularly wrong with that but if it's a sense of doing all that and then adding Jesus in on a Sunday and everything else hasn't got the filter of him then then we've got a problem so the the living our life with him totally as our filter has to be our aim. When we're running our race, who are we fixing our eyes on? Who are we looking at? Freedom in everything. Whatever we face, every day. Whatever we face. Freedom in the truth of who Jesus is, is the best place for us. Freedom in the truth of who our Father is, totally the best place for us. And freedom in the truth of who says who he says we are. Who he says we are. That's the best place to be. I'm going to invite a friend of mine now, Helen, to come and share a short testimony. She shared this on Alpha on Wednesday, and that caused me to change my whole talk. Because I wanted her to come and share that with us today. So I'm not going to steal anything of what she says. 
but Helen, if you'd like to come, could we just give her a welcome? Do you want to hold it at sand? Hi. Um, so I grew up in Surrey in a sort of so-called Christian family where we went to a local CV church every Sunday because it was the thing to do in the place we lived. My brothers were both um, choristers in the choir and I would go very little every Sunday wondering why we were there. Safe to say I really didn't get much out of it as a five-year-old. It was about this age that I found out my parents were getting divorced and my dad was to marry a woman who had previously been a friend of my mum's and a friend of the family's. We had spent many holidays together as two families, and now at the age of five, I found it quite confusing that my dad was to live with this other family instead of ours. It wasn't until some years later that I fully understood what had happened, and I am thankful that I now have a great relationship with my dad. And that's a real testament to the way that God loves to heal and restore relationships. But at the time, I became very confused, angry, and isolated, as I couldn't understand what was happening. About the same time, I was encouraged by my stepbrother to start experimenting sexually with him on more than one occasion. At such a young age, I didn't know what I was doing or that there was an option to not get involved, but I did know that it didn't feel right. It felt wrong. Because of this, I developed more and more guilt about what had happened, and I kept it quiet for a further five years telling nobody. Three years later, my mum met somebody new, and by the time I was 10, we had moved up here to Shropshire, away from my friends, away from my school, away from my dad, whom I still really loved very dearly, and the anger in me increased. My mum remarried a few years later, and I found myself living with a stepdad with bipolar depression who would go for two weeks at a time, living in the spare room, sitting in silence and ignoring my mum and I. So I saw my mum go through a very difficult divorce with my dad and then a very painful second marriage. My anger developed into what was labelled as an anger problem, and I had counselling for a year or so. However, nothing really seemed to change, and I found it really hard to open up to anyone. I didn't like this anger problem label that I'd been given, and more often than not, I sought to be the strong person in our family, uh, burying my anger and not letting what was happening to me become an excuse for my own behaviour. My mum became a Christian a few years before this, and during the first years in Shropshire, she went to a few different churches, and eventually she ended up here at Barnabas. She'd encouraged me to come along, and one morning pretty well dragged me to Barnabas. I was quite reluctant, given my previous experience of church. And on that Sunday during the worship, a lady went up to the front saying she'd had a word from God for somebody in the congregation to which I rolled my eyes. She said, I feel there is a girl here who was abused as a child and has kept it quiet for many years. And now this has become a heavy weight on this, on this girl. God wants to set you free from the past and what's happened to you. I felt my heart racing, and I knew that this was God speaking to me. I went up for prayer at the end of the meeting, and the lady prayed for me, saying she thought it was sexual abuse, but hadn't wanted to say this from the front. This was the day I gave my life to God, and I felt a sudden release from a lot of pent-up anger and emotions I'd been holding on to for years. I finally stopped burying my emotions in the sand and prayed that God, through his Holy Spirit, would fill me and heal me from any past emotional scars. I was 12 years old at this point. It was a huge turning point in my life, as I felt for the first time I could acknowledge how I felt to God and to others around me. It took several more years to reach the point where I could forgive my stepbrother for the things that had happened when I was younger, but I found in doing this that God set me free as a result of forgiving him. It also allowed me to start dealing with things differently at home. I came to realise that I'm God's child. I am free from my own sin 
and that my negative past experiences don't dictate who God made me to be through Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. Although I would often come home from school to find my mum in tears and my stepdad in silence, God gave me a safe place in my bedroom where I felt a sense of peace which stayed, me f- stayed with me for several years. God gave me strength, and despite living with quite a volatile stepdad, I felt safe, and I know that could only have come from God. It's only recently I found out that somebody, some, several people had been praying for me throughout that time to feel exactly that, a sense of peace and a safe place in that house. Another example of God's work in me through the Holy Spirit was on my 13th birthday at school. I'd always been bullied from a young age, and for several, several weeks had been picked on by a girl in my year. On this particular day, she came up behind me, she grabbed me by my hair and put my head in a locker where she repeatedly slammed the door against my head. Eventually, she was pulled off, and where previously the anger would have risen up inside of me and I'd have tried to punch her in the face, I found myself walking away. No words were said, and even more amazingly, I felt no pain and showed no bruises. God had definitely been with me. A few years later, I left home at 18, and I started the project year here at Barnabas. But about a month after I'd moved out, my mum went through her second divorce. Having been there for my mum for so many years, it was a real learning curve emotionally to no longer be there for her at this time. But God showed me that I could give all my worry to him because he cares for me, and he cares for my mum. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I met Mike, who is now my husband, just before I turned 19, and we got married three years later. And I'm just going to share one more area that I feel God has demonstrated his love and provision, and then I'll stop and be quiet. I qualified as a teacher in 2012 and found myself without a job for September. To live on just Mike's earnings was going to be a bit tight. He was also doing his teacher training at the time. Um, And in our relationship, Mike deals with the money. I've never been good with money particularly, uh, and it's definitely much more Mike's forte. However, because he handles the money, sometimes he has a tendency to worry about it more, or at least he used to. Um, So I'd been praying about this situation, and I'd felt that perhaps God was saying to me, I was actually meant to not be in work for a a period of time in order that I could do other things. This was then confirmed by a prophetic word from a friend. I continued to apply for work, but no doors really opened. However, the scary thing was telling Mike that I'd felt God had told me to not go to work and to have this period of time off. Uh, And I was a bit worried about how he was going to react to it. One evening, Mike came in from football and said, I've been praying about this work thing, and I feel it's right that you don't go back to work straight away. I learnt my lesson. I learnt not to worry about how Mike would react to something God had already spoken to me about, because God had spoken to him too. He'd given him reassurance that we would be provided for. And throughout the eight weeks that I didn't work, we both felt peace about our money situation. We knew that God would provide work at the right time. And I got a maternity job starting in November without even having an interview. Praise God. I can honestly say there's not been a day we've not seen God's provision in our lives since. We've learned to pray about all aspects of our life and try not to pick and choose what we share with God. We've learned that God cares about the big things and the small things and that nothing is too big or too small for him. So I don't always get it right. For those of you that know me, you'll know that I can be quite a loud, opinionated drama queen at times. But I have learned the truth of understanding that I'm not governed by my past experiences or circumstances, and also that these shouldn't be used as an excuse for how I behave in the future. In knowing who I am in Christ, I can try to see circumstances from God's perspective. 
I look back and I see God answering both my prayers and the prayers of others in my life time and time again. My prayer life has strengthened my relationship with him and has brought me great freedom in our daily life. I just want to finish with this verse. It's been very significant to me and I think it's appropriate. It comes from Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Thank you. So can you see why I thought she'd be quite a good one to share in this? I mean, there's no glory in the things that happened to Helen, but there is glory in the rescuer and the one that's given her freedom. And I just pray for, I just, can I just pray for us now? Is that right? Father, the emotions of some of the things that Helen shared will be stirring in some of us. You only do that because your spirit is with us. You're a mighty counselor. You're our wonderful father. And you stir things within us to help us. And the things that are stirring in some of our hearts right now would be to bring us freedom. And to bring us freedom in knowing that you have truly given us a a freedom that is totally to do with who you are totally to do with what you have done for us, totally to do with your word, your goodness. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that with Jesus as the filter, we can face all of our days, every day. Not only facing them and battling through on our own, but totally saturated with the absolute wonderful presence of you every day of our life. We give you the glory. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Holding on to what matters. Holding on to the truth. The truth that stands the test of time. The truth that when we're sad, God is with us. The truth that when we're lonely, when we're hurting, God is with us. The truth is that he is with us forever, for always. I wonder what truth do we need to be holding on to in our own lives? What teaching of Jesus maybe are we not holding on to? What have we decided that we'd like to hold on to more than the truth of Jesus? The thing is, the freedom that we're talking about, the freedom that Helen's talking about, is for all of us. It's not just for the few. It's for every one of us. What might we be holding on to that is not the teachings of Jesus, that truly, as we hold on to that truth, we are set free? Sometimes, Helen, Helen mentioned this, sometimes we need to forgive people. Sometimes there's something sitting in our heart, and it's bitterness, and it's sadness, Sometimes there's a forgiveness. And when we forgive, a freedom comes. When we forgive, because when we're not forgiving, we're holding on to that thing. We're holding on to that maybe more than we're holding on to the truth of who Jesus is. 
What are we holding on to that isn't the truth of Jesus? Okay, so am I just sounding a little bit fluffy? If I think about what would the world offer instead? If someone's done something wrong to us, if our life isn't looking great right now and there's someone to blame, what would the world offer? I think the world might offer revenge. Yeah, that's slow revenge. One day, they'll get their comeuppance. Is that even a word? One day, this will happen. That's slow. They'll get it. I think that's a generally accepted thing in the world. What about bitterness? Just keeping going on about it. Always bringing it up. Always having it at the forefront of our thinking. Now, that just eats us. It eats and eats and eats away at us if we become bitter. What about the opt-out? I think the world likes the opt-out. I've already said about working, 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 and then crashing at the weekends. The opt-out of let's go party and forget it. And do you know what? It works maybe once or twice, but it's not really a good long-term plan to do the opt-out. Real life, real responsibilities don't work well with a choice of opting out of life. So what we have here is an option of holding on to the truth, holding on to the teachings of Jesus, holding on to who he is, rather than holding on to whatever it might be that we're holding on to instead. This is what brings our freedom. Freedom to be so holding on to this truth that we will make some good choices. We will put Jesus first. We will understand what it is for us. Not just a list of rules, not just a list of you've got to do this, otherwise God's going to be sad with you. That's a load of rubbish. Actually, what is it that we need to hold on to for our own freedom? For our own freedom. Freedom is being in our reality and totally knowing what God looks like. Totally knowing what God looks like. I was thinking, freedom, freedom lying on a beach in Barbados. Surely there, there's no cares of the world. But it's even hot there, isn't it? Freedom, holding on to Jesus' teaching. Being in whatever reality we are in and seeing that God is there. Any reality. Is this our expectation? Is this our expectation of who God is? I guess a challenge for us all is to learn and grow in being in the reality of any moment and knowing that God is there and remembering what he looks like and remembering what he would say to us, remembering the truth of who he is. However much we look for the temporary fixes, the dream job, the dream holiday, the dream man, the dream woman, the dream whatever, all of those are temporary fixes. None of them are wrong. All of them are temporary fixes. There is one constant forever, and that is our saviour, our Lord, our King, our God. He is forever. What's our view of God, I wonder? What, when we think of God, what do we think? What do we think of our Father? Do we consider him the most gracious ever being that has ever existed, that wants the best for us, that has sacrificed all for us, that is living in community for us, that his Son is speaking on our behalf, the Holy Spirit is here with us? Is that what we consider when we think about God? Or do we consider him to be a little bit distant, maybe a little bit harsh, maybe a little bit rule-based, maybe a little bit out there somewhere? Because the two have got a very different feel. What are we feeling about our God? 
Some people tell me that they are struggling in life, and I believe, I believe, I believe them. Sometimes I go through struggles myself. And actually, my lifeline is going to God. My lifeline is reading his word. My lifeline is praying. My lifeline is the safe place that Helen talked about. My lifeline is him. My lifeline is the filter here. Is that what we do when we're struggling? Go to him? Or do we push him to one side and say, I'm sitting here in my sadness right now and nobody cares. Nobody's with me. God's not there. Where's our lifeline? Where are we looking for our lifeline? If we've got a misconception of who God is, we're not going to look to him. If we have a misconception of who he is, I think we need to stir each other. We need to spur each other on to remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Remember his presence with us. Remember what it is that his teachings are saying that we're supposed to be holding on to. Remember what the truth is and the truth will, truly will, set us free. The early church were known for their freedom. They were known for the joy of their faith. They were known as excited, courageous people. And their lives were not easy. They had it tough. They were persecuted. They had no security in their finances. People moved away. People died. People were sad. But they were known for their joy and their freedom. They were known as people who were free. The freedom we are talking about is a freedom to be able to face, as I said before, all of our days, every day, with him right with us and have a joy in our spirit that we just don't quite get and a peace in our spirit, that peace that transcends all understanding that people talk about. That's the peace of God with whatever's going on, whatever. That's the peace. That's the presence of God. Freedom is eternal. It's of consequence. It matters because it's based on the truth. And the truth is always and forever. Galatians says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then on in verse 7 it says, You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. I wonder who or what what lies, what untruths, what things might have cut in on our race of our eyes fixed on Jesus? What might have come in our way and distracted us from the truth of who he is? What have we got that's blinkering our run, our race with Jesus? In the race of life, are we feeling free? Are we running free with him? When we hold on to Christ's teachings, we are running with him as our goal, totally as our goal. What may have cut in on us? I wonder what may have cut in on us. Again, as I was preparing, I was thinking, God, what might, might have cut in on people's races today? I fear maybe it was fear, fear of the unknown, disillusionment. I've tried that before fixed my eyes on him before. Go on, Helen, keep going on about it. 
tried that. Disillusioned. Temptation. Something else is distracting us that's tempting us. Circumstances. Things are really, 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 really tough. All really, 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 really busy. Somehow, if you stick enough reallys in front of it, it makes it bigger, doesn't it? Really, really, really bad. Sadness. Is that cutting on our race? Unforgiveness. The abuseful situation that Helen spoke about in her life. Someone knew. God told someone to share that thing from the front to give her freedom. It was sitting there as an unsaid, undone thing that was crippling her life. Truth came and freedom came. Weariness. Are we just a bit tired? Losing our oomph for our race. Maybe that's what stopped us. Maybe we don't care as much as we did. What about old patterns of life sneaking in the way? What about constantly looking behind as a thing that's stepping in on our way forward? Bear with me on this one. You know when you're running, not that I run that often, but you know when you're running and you look over your shoulder, it's hard to look at the goal ahead. And if we're constantly looking over our shoulders, I wonder what it is that we're looking at that's distracting us from running our race. Psalm 145 says this, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. It's there now. Let's just take a moment and have a look at that. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. I wonder, are we brave enough to call on him in truth? Are we brave enough to say, this is what it's like. This is what I think's stepped in. This is what I think's cutting on my race. This is what I think's the thing avoiding me looking at you right now. This is what the thing is that's avoiding me holding on to your truth, your teaching, and running my race free. This is what it is. Are we ready to call on him in truth? And he will, he will be with us. There's a writer called Colin Urquhart, who's a very well-known writer, um, a few decades ago particularly, and he said this, nothing can or needs to be added to what Jesus has already accomplished for us. Faith in what he has said and done leads us to complete freedom from sin, past hurts, personal failure, inadequacy, bondage, and sickness in all its forms. Nothing can or needs to be added to what Jesus has already done. You see, when he died, he did it once, because he only needed to do it the once, for us to have freedom. Complete freedom came when he died for us, because he took on everything, everything that we hold on to, instead of holding on to him, he took all that on when he died on the cross. We are renewed in our minds as we hold on to his truth. When Thomas said, this was after Jesus had risen from the dead, when Thomas says to the disciples, 
Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He was struggling to believe and trust in this truth because his circumstances were saying, it's not true. Jesus can't be the saviour because he's died. When he sees Jesus, Jesus says, Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. When he sees who Jesus is, when he sees the risen Savior, when he sees the glory of who Jesus is, he says, my Lord and my God. He gets excited because he knows who he is and he gets really excited. I don't think he put his hands there. I don't think he bothered testing whether it was him or not. I think he just said, my Lord and my God. He got excited. I think I might well have said, when the others were saying, I've seen Jesus, I might well have said, well, unless I see him, I'm not going to believe it. I might well have been that person that Thomas was. But we have seen him. So many of us have responded to who he is. We might not have seen the risen Jesus, but we've experienced him We see life-changing stories. We see Helen's story only today. We hear of stories. We hear our own story. We know in our hearts that he came, he died, he rose again. He is victorious. He has conquered everything so that we can be free. That's who he is. I'm getting a bit excited. And so are a couple of others. (laughs) When Jesus went back to heaven... He then sent us the Holy Spirit. Him and his Father talked to the Holy Spirit about us. Jesus is considering us. He is thinking about us. We are in his mind. Our needs, our everything is in his mind. And we have the presence of God to call on and be with every single day of our life. This is exciting. This is exciting. Galatians 5 verse 13 says... You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather than serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. And then the the passage goes on. Talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Talking about what it is to have the Holy Spirit presence in us at all times. What it is when we're pulling off the presence of God. When we're holding on to him rather than holding on to a thing that might be distracting us. What does the fruit look like in our life? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So how are we going to respond today? How are we going to run our race? How are we going to fix our eyes on Jesus? How are we going to have him as our filter for everything? To the one who is true to the one who is everlasting, to the one who is everything. If you hold on to my teaching, if you hold on to me, hold on to the truth, then you will be free. 
So what can we step into? There's been loads of prophetic things that came up this morning. Loads of things. What's the fruit in my life? What have we got to let go of? What are we letting go of today in order that we can hold on to Jesus? We're going to let go of some of that fear. We can actually talk to him and be honest. We're going to let go of the disillusionment, the sense of having a wrong identity and not really getting what he says about us. Wrong expectations, that feeling of abandonment. Jesus will draw us to him and he will help us with this. And he will be with us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Our God is with us. When we hold on to him, the truth will truly set us free. Amen.